We started our membership class this morning and we, we looked at the atoning sacrifice of Christ and uh, our song, our last song we just sung really uh, described it well because the, the blood sacrifice of Christ is a, not pun intended, a dying doctrine. Whether you realize it or not, outside of our church, uh, there are Christian Christians and Christian churches that say you can be a Christian without accepting the atoning sacrifice of Christ. That the Son did not have to die for us by uh, the Father's hand, but that just to follow Jesus is enough. We don't have to believe that the blood of Christ is shed for sinners. Uh, that is grossly false. And apart from the shedding of blood, of the infinitely precious and perfect blood of Christ, we are hopeless. And when I think that God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in that on the cross, my burden, your guilt, your sin, Gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Apart from it, we are condemned. So, Hebrews 5, we... Last week we took a week off of Hebrews and we talked about discipleship and baptism. And we're going to see a little overlay, actually. The Lord did us well in helping us to have some some continuity from last week. As we discussed, being a disciple, who are to be baptized, what a disciple looks like, what baptism means. Um, so we picked back up where we left off. From a couple weeks ago, we, we finished up to, to 10, 510 in Hebrews. And if you've been paying attention as we've been going through, which I hope you all have, if you've been picking up the, I'm just going to start calling him a pre, the preacher of Hebrews because, man, the more I read this, the more it sounds like a sermon. Um, there, there's a continual theme that we've seen just in the first five chapters. And that's the theme of the high priest. In 2.17, he introduces it. Well, he introduces it towards the end of chapter 2, but we see it specifically in chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore, he, God, or he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. There, There's the, the blood of Christ again for the atoning sacrifice for sinners. And then um, in ver- chapter 4, we see it again in verse 14, the theme of the high priest. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. And then he, then he says we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us and goes in a little bit more. And then in the beginning of chapter 5, he takes that high priest theme and it kind of explodes with it. He's starting to explain it a little bit more. What it means to be a high priest. How Jesus is qualified to be a high priest. What Jesus being your high priest means. And what you're going to see is, is that He's got a lot to say about it. He starts in chapter 5 and goes all the way to chapter 10 discussing the theme of Jesus as high priest, his person, his office, his work, his sacrifice, the temple at which he made the sacrifice and took the offering, all of this about Jesus as high priest. And so we finished a couple weeks ago with verse 10, and it's saying Jesus being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Alright, so he finished there with a statement about Jesus as a high priest after Melchizedek. We're not getting into Melchizedek today. 
But one of the reasons why I said I want to call this a sermon is because whoever this is, he likes to go and chase rabbits or get off off his theme because something it's almost as if something has popped into his mind and he talks about it for a few verses. Well, this is the third time this has happened in Hebrews. And every time it's been a warning. Every time he's gotten off topic, he's given a warning. We saw it in chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2. We saw it uh, in uh, the middle of chapter 3. Or I'm sorry, the start of chapter 3. After he had brought up Jesus as high priest in chapter 2, he gets diverted and wants to talk a little bit more about something else. And then he gets back into his theme at the end of chapter 4, starts talking about Jesus as high priest again, and then verse 11, he gets sidetracked again. And that's where we are today. He gives us another section of a warning. And that extends basically through most of chapter 6. And we're going to take the next two weeks to go through this section because I think... From the way I observe it, there are two warnings within this one. Two warnings to us within this one large warning. Um, And I want you to get this and understand this, that his side, I sidetrack sometimes in my preaching and you're like, what is the point? The preacher of Hebrews, when he sidetracks, it's not fluff. It's not extra. He wants... It, 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 it is eternally um, it is eternally significant when he gives a warning when he goes off topic so as he said in verse 2 or chapter 2 pay attention pay attention lest you drift beware because there's no turning back apart from the gospel of Christ and the work of Jesus as our high priest. So, we get to verse 11. This is where we are this morning. And it's we're go- the, the first warning that we're going to look at goes from 511 to chapter 6 into verse 3. Now, I want you to understand, for those of us that aren't aware the chapter and verse markers that you see in your Bible chapter 5 chapter 6 verse 12 verse 14 those have not always been there they're very helpful for us and for me telling you how to go to where we need to go but they're also kind of inconvenient sometimes and throw us off because the way the chapter is made that we got a new chapter here in 6 it breaks up the thought from the first or from verses 11, 12, 13 and 14 of chapter 5. So the chapters numbers didn't come into existence until the 13th century. 12, 1200 years, 1100 years after the Bible was written. Someone put in the chapter chapter numbers. And it wasn't until the early 1500s that we have the Bible the way we see it with all the chapters and numbers. So this is, again, one of my side notes here. When Paul and Peter wrote their inspired word of God, their scripture, they didn't put in chapters and verses. They just wrote. They were writing letters. Or the... um, the, the writers of the Gospels were just writing to communicate Christ. Um, their words are from God. Directly inspired by the Holy Spirit. The people who put in the chapters and the verses, it's not inerrant. Meaning, it could be flawed. But the words of God are not. Do you understand? The words of God are not flawed. There's, there is nothing wrong. Everything is perfect about the words of God. I heard someone make a joke, and I can't remember who it was, that there are some places you just don't understand why they put a verse this place or a chapter that place, that whoever did it must have been riding on a horse when they did it because it just sometimes makes no sense, and it was just 
a bumpy trip while they were doing it. But all that to say this, our section that we want to pay attention to is 5.11 through 6.3. And I'll give you a heads up. That's going to take us today and tonight to do that. So with all that said, here's where we start. We start with our first warning about the heart of hearing. Now, I know we all know that phrase. We've heard that phrase. I, I'm pretty sure we've met people and you talk to them and they say, can you speak up? I'm hard of hearing, right? And what's the, what's the solution to that problem? Well, they gave you the solution to that problem. You speak louder. But we've also had conversations or interactions with people where they say, you're hard of hearing and it's not because you can't hear. You catch my drift? Like, you don't listen. Or you're not getting it. You're, you're hard of hearing. That's the type of hard of hearing we're going to discuss today. Not, not the, I can't hear you, but the, you're not getting it. You're not understanding. That's, that's the first warning that we see today. And then the, the second warning that we'll see next week is apostasy. Apostasy, which, Lord willing, we'll take a look at next week um so what does he say in verse 11 about this we have much to say now we're going to kind of walk through this phrase by phrase this morning about what what is he talking about about this we have much to say well specifically he's referring to jesus as our great high priest. Remember, that's been a major theme, and that was how chapter 5 started and had continued on till we got to verse 11. He also mentions there in chapter, verse 10 uh, that not only is Jesus high priest, but he's the high priest at the order of Melchizedek. Okay, he says, we have much to say about this topic. And he will. He will take the next five chapters to say what he has to say about Jesus as high priest. Um, and here's the reality. The reality is, is he could have said a lot more about Jesus and about his person and his work, and his office as our great high priest. Because the wealth of the riches in understanding who Jesus is and what he has done is absolutely endless. We come to church every Sunday and we think, am I going to learn something? Is he going to say something new? Well, if I don't say something new, it's not because there's not something else to say. It's just because I'm not a good preacher. The wealth of understanding, the riches of the knowledge of Jesus Christ is a bottomless well. You cannot exhaust your knowledge of Christ and his gospel. Why? Why is it that way? Well, look back at verse or chapter 1 of Hebrews. Chapter 1 of Hebrews will remind us why the work of Jesus and the person of Jesus is a bottomless well of wealth and riches. Verse 2 of chapter 1, But in the last days He has spoken to us, God has spoken to us by His Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Let's say you want to get to know someone. You know, you even have that comment with your wife after a year, 10 years, 50 years. Are you still learning about them? There's still things that you learn about your spouse. Things that they might do something, and you're like, I never 
Like, never thought that. Or they say something. Whatever it might be. Now, imagine that relationship with an infinite God. Every day, we should be like, I learned something new about you today. I never thought of that. Because an infinite God is an infinite pool of riches and goodness. He is, Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Not only the person of Jesus is infinitely rich for us, but his work, what he has done. Is we sh- There's no way that we can tell someone, I completely understand the work of Christ. I completely get what he has done for me. We've only tasted a bite of the love of Christ. Now, Paul says, he says it in a way that the wisdom and knowledge of Jesus... They're unsearchable riches. Look at Ephesians 3. He calls them unsearchable riches. Ephesians 3. And when he says unsearchable, he doesn't mean like it's a cave of riches and you can't get to it so that you can't search it. You can't find anything. He means it in the sense of you have found a cave full of riches and you cannot find the end of it. You cannot cannot get to the end of the cave and says, I have gone through this entire cave and put my finger on every bit of riches and wealth in this cave. We can never say that about God. We can never say that about Christ. He says in verse 7 of chapter 3, Paul says, Of this gospel, the good news of Jesus, I was made a minister according to the gifts of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's also my job. My job is to come to you Sunday by Sunday or whenever needed and have been in the mines throughout the week searching for the jewels that you have not found yet. Searching for the riches of Christ that you have not set your eyes on. And when I come and I speak to you My hope is that I am preaching to you these unsearchable riches and that you can go home each and every week with more of Christ's jewels in your hands. And so you can go home with the jewels of Christ that you did not have before and be in awe and marvel and in reverence for. But... That's a lot different from marveling at your ring with that jewel on it. That doesn't really get you anywhere. But when you marvel at the riches of Christ, it transforms you. It makes you something different. Look what he says in verses 16 of chapter 3. He puts a name on part of the riches and he names them the love of Christ. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through the spirit in your inner being. Why does Paul want a Christian to be empowered by the spirit? Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith 
that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend, to understand. Hang on to that word, to comprehend, to understand with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, my prayer for you, is that by the empowering of the Holy Spirit, that Christ dwelling in you, that you will grow in your understanding of what the love of Christ is. What the love of Christ is for you and to you. And Paul uses the terminology to, to, make you, to make you feel like you're engulfed by the love of Christ. The height, the depth, the breadth. It's surrounded us. It's unsearchable. There's so much. And so, that shouldn't stop us from going and finding it. We should want more of it. More of our understanding of the riches of Christ. More understanding of what His love is for us. As we go back to Hebrews, stop at Colossians chapter 2. Excuse me, chapter 1. As we go back to Hebrews, stop at Colossians chapter 1. Here we see something similar. Colossians 1, beginning in 27. To, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What's the mystery? It's Christ in you. The hope of glory. Now watch what he does. He doesn't just say, oh, it's, it's that the, the riches of the glory of Christ in you is a good thing. No, he says this in 28. Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we might present everyone mature in Christ. Okay, so there's a correlation here. That your maturity in Christ is connected to your learning of Christ. If it didn't, why would Paul struggle to teach it? For this, he says in verse 29, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, and His might that powerfully works within me. What is He struggling with? To teach Christ. Because the only way that the hearers will become like Christ is if they learn Christ. They understand Him more. This is His struggle. This is what He works for. This is what He labors after. The maturity of his hearers, of the Christian. So it should be your labor as well. If it's the labor of the preacher that you learn Christ, it should be your labor to want to learn Christ. And to get and to seek the riches. And mine for the jewels. Keep going and... Chapter 2 of Colossians. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face. He struggles for them. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. 
in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am in this, I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So Paul is... His desire is that they reach all the riches of the full assurance of what? Understanding. Knowledge of God's mystery, which is what? It's Christ. And it's Christ in whom all the treasures of wisdom are hidden. All the treasures of knowledge are found. And why does he want this? He wants this because of three things for them. He wants that when you grow in your understanding of Jesus, when you grow in your understanding of what He has done for you, He says three things are bound to happen. He says there is assurance. Assurance of what? Of what He has done. Of who He said He is. But there are two other things that you will receive that will be fruit of your growing and your understanding of the riches of the fullness of Jesus. And that is good order. Your life and behavior, how you walk, how you live, can only grow as your knowledge of Jesus and His work for you grow. And something else happens. You grow in your firmness of your faith. All right, back at Hebrews. He has much to say, and of course he has much to say, because there's much to say about Jesus, the Son of God, the propitiation for our sins, the one who became like us to save us from death and sin, our great high priest. He says, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. It's hard to explain. Well, yeah, that's what Paul declared, right? That in his proclaiming and warning and teaching, what was he doing? Struggling. His labor and toil for him. But, <coughs> in the context of this letter or this sermon, the preacher wants them to understand it's hard for them to, it's hard for him to explain because they have become so dull of hearing. Now, let me say this. We might open the Bible and say, I can't learn it because it's hard to understand. That goes against what everything is said in the Bible. There's a, there's a word, I'm not... It's escaped my mind. It's a big theological word to describe how easy it is to understand the simplicity of Christ in the gospel. I don't remember what the word is. But basically, a child can understand the most important basic things needed to understand Christ and His work. Now, there are, it does complicate, gets complicated. It does build upon itself. And there are things that none of us will understand ever. And we may not understand it even on the other side of the Jordan. Because we will still be finite beings trying to understand an infinite God. But Paul was very clear when he talked to Timothy. And I think it probably holds true for every Christian to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Rightly handling the word of truth. But, as I said, the task here for this preacher was a little bit more difficult because he says they had become dull of hearing. Now, we could also say, not necessarily dull of hearing, but slow of understanding. The There's one translation that says, 
It's hard to explain because you have become lazy in your understanding. So he makes it a point to say, it's not hard because it's hard to understand. It's hard because you're getting hard of hearing. It's hard because you're not making an attempt to listen. You might be getting lazy. Now, what are some explanations for this? The author of Hebrews doesn't tell us why. Because this is obviously something that they have become. They haven't always been this way. He says, you have become dull of hearing. So, what? maybe what are some potentials that cause them to become this way? Here are just three. And I've already mentioned one, laziness. Just Pure laziness. But what might... There's always... That's the surface. There's always something underneath. Right? That causes outward sin. What might cause laziness? Hang with me here. Idolatry towards comfort. Present yourself as a worker approved by God, rightly handling the word of truth. Do you want to work? Are you making an attempt? See, we tend to idolize comfort. We tend to say, I don't want to do that because it takes effort and it's hard. And you are actually putting your own comfort before the worship of God, which should bring you to laziness. That could be one explanation for their dull of hearing. Another one is that they're distracted. This one's so easy for me. I'm the kind of person that I'm not really good at anything, but I like to think that I can do a lot of things. And so I want to learn a bunch of different things. Or at least attempt to learn it. And, you know, uh, jack of all trades, master of none kind of thing. And what, but, what, but what happens for me is I get focused on something that necessarily wouldn't, might not be bad. But it becomes my focus within my life. It consumes my thoughts. I wake up. Thinking about whatever it might be. I go to bed thinking about how I can be better at whatever. My reading or YouTube watching might... You could probably tell what um, what area of, of life I'm working through by looking at my YouTube feed. Uh, distractions can cause you to not desire to understand more of Christ. The world will pull your eyes away from Jesus and you won't you'll make excuses, you'll do whatever you can to dance around the fact that you are denying time, thought and worship to God for the sake of Whatever else is in front of you, you will be distracted. Distractions can lead you to to dullness of hearing. Uh, And the third one is just plain forgetfulness. Plain forgetfulness. Now God, uh, I think I've said this before. Have your kids ever said, you, you know, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And they said, hey kids, uh, hey, we've got plenty of kids in here. Kids, look here. Evie, y'all listen. When kids are told, and we've all been there, adults you too. When your parents told you to do something and you didn't do it and your best response is, I forgot. Well, to God, forgetfulness is a sin. Not just disobedience to your mom and dad. But forgetfulness of what was told you is also a sin. And that's why you can't say that excuse or people at work, I forgot. 
boss, or I forgot, wife. Whatever it is, forgetfulness is not an excuse. It's a sin. And that's why God told Israel over and over and over and over and over again, remember, remember. And we're going to sing Come Thou Fount at the end of this. Uh, and I'm, di- I'm sad because our hymnal leaves out a verse that gives um, a really good point to this. Uh, Here I raise my Ebenezer. That is in uh, the Old Testament. After Israel had won a battle. And in order to remember God's goodness towards them, they built a memorial. And it was called an Ebenezer. And it was to remind them of the goodness of God towards them. It was a reminder. It was a tool to keep them from forgetting. From falling into sin. Right? And also in in, uh, Come Thou Fount, one of the verses we do have is uh, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And what is the what is the 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 correction for that? Uh, chain me to yourself. I forget how it goes. Something like a fetter. A fetter is a chain to bind you. Bind my wandering heart to thee. Right? Because that's what you're prone to. You're prone to idolize your own comfort. Idolize the things of the world and get distracted. And then uh, just plain forget. And we need Ebenezer's memorials, reminders. We need songs that say, ah, I need God to hold me close to him. We need one another to sing the songs to each other that say that. We need one another to to, to, to remember what God has done in your life. Because if we don't do these things, we'll get hard of hearing. We'll get slow to understand. And he says, it's hard to explain these great, beautiful things about Jesus as high priest because you've become so dull of hearing. This is where we're going to finish today in verse 12. We're just going to look at the first phrase of verse 12. Back in Hebrews 5. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. Okay. This is the expectation the preacher of Hebrews had for his audience. That they'd been Christians long enough that they should be teaching others. Now you might say, hang on Luke. That's just for them, right? No, it's not. It's not. I want you to remember last week. What did Jesus tell the disciples to do before he went and ascended into heaven? What did he tell them to do? Go and make what? Disciples. What did he tell them to do when they made disciples? Baptize them, yeah. What else? Teach them to observe all that I have commanded. To observe and keep all that I have commanded. Now, are you a disciple? If you are, guess what you should be doing? Being obedient to Jesus and making disciples. Guess what that means? You ought to be teaching those who you are making disciples what Jesus has commanded. Here's the thing about it. There's no way around this for anybody who calls themselves Christian. After, not immediately, not after a while, not after, uh, you know, not early in your walk with Christ... You know, it's probably not a good. It's probably a good thing that you aren't a teacher in the early stages of your walk with Christ, because there's probably a reality that you don't know a lot. But the expectation of a Christian is that they learn. 
that they grow in their understanding of who Christ is and what He's done. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe and keep all things that I have commanded. The ability to teach the truth of Christ to others is the evidence that you are a disciple. Disciples make disciples. These are our marching orders. God doesn't let me let me just say this. God doesn't care about our building. He doesn't care about how uh, well the yard looks. He doesn't care about what our sign says. He doesn't care if our AC is working or not. He cares if we are making disciples. Now, all of those other things can be helpful in making disciples. But if we are so concerned about all the things that are connected, the physical aspects of this building and this church, and we aren't making disciples, he hates them all. If we are not being obedient to Jesus in the Great Commission and we gather in this building, He hates this building. If we are concerned about the way people see our sign, but yet we are not teaching people the things of Christ, He hates our sign. We must make sure that we are obedient to Jesus and making disciples and teaching others the truth. He cares about the proclamation of the gospel. He cares about conversions. He cares about raising them up in the understanding of Christ, teaching them to observe all things. If we care about everything else and are not making disciples for the glory of God, we look like Israel in Isaiah 1. I, and he tells Israel, I don't want to hear another prayer. I don't want to smell another sacrifice, another offering. It is all hideous to me. Or he would look at us like the church at Sardis. Look at the church of Sardis in Revelation 3. We're almost done. Revelation chapter 3. These are, beginning in verse 1, through, we'll just read the first three verses of chapter 3 in Revelation chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. May this not be said about Ozark's Bible Church. May it not be said. May they know us by what is on our sign, seeking to set forth Christ. Seeking to set forth Christ. Why would we want to know Him and to set Him forth? Because He is so worthy of being known. He is so worthy of your love. And He is so worthy that you want to share Him. Four ways you need to do this. Four ways you ought to be a teacher. If you have called yourself Christian for any period of time, you ought to be able to teach. Number one, teach yourself. You have that ability because you have the Spirit of God within you. That was a promise of the, of the new covenant. That you do not need a priest 
You do not need someone from your tribe to stand before you and to teach you the things of God. You have that ability because you have the Spirit of God. Teach yourself, number one. Number two, don't be concerned about the church or your neighbor or your uh, co-worker if you were not teaching your family, your spouse, and your children. Men, step up. Women, step up. Teach yourself and teach your family. Whether it's children or grandchildren. Teach them. We'll look at some verses about this stuff tonight. Uh, the, the third, So teach yourself, teach your family, then teach your church family. I'm not, I should not be the only teacher here. Even me and two, me and Brother Dan, that's not enough. Or our Sunday school teachers. We all should be teaching one another. It's called discipleship. It's called holding the Word of God before one another. We'll talk more about that as time permits. Teach your church family. And be ready to teach anyone who asks of the hope that you have in you. Be ready to tell people about Jesus and what He has done. Teach yourself, teach your family, teach your church family, and teach anyone who asks you about the hope that you have in you. We'll look at verses for each one of those tonight, Lord willing. Now, I want to just read Jeremiah 9. Everybody turn to Jeremiah 9 and we'll finish. Jeremiah 9. So past Proverbs, past Psalms and Proverbs, go past Isaiah, and you'll get to Jeremiah. I want every, If you got your Bible open, I want us to all read this one together and see it together. Verse 23. We'll read 23-24. Jeremiah 9:23 Thus says the Lord Hey Thus says the Lord Not Luke The Lord Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom Let not the mighty man boast in his might Let not the rich man boast in his riches But let him who boasts Boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Can you boast that you know the living God? Is that your boast? Are you boasting about other things on social media? Are you boasting about other things to your friends? Are you boasting about things in your heart that have no eternal value? Can you declare that you have an understanding of who God is in Jesus Christ? Do you have an understanding of the riches of the Jesus of the riches of Jesus Christ? Let me tell you something. As a church, we have resources for you. Many resources. Multiple gatherings a week for you to come and hear the Word of God. Uh, on the back of the bulletin, which I didn't print bring today, is the weekly catechism question and answer, which presents to you a truth, a richness about God and who He is, a question and an answer every week. Our, our statement of faith is a wealth of biblical wisdom and understanding. Bible reading plans that are on the back. Oh, the statement of faiths are on the back as well as you walk out. Uh, you didn't get to hear the sermon or your kids were bothering you during the sermon. Go back and listen to them online. You want to just hear it again. And then you have one another. If you want to learn more, Tap on the shoulder of someone you think might know more than you about Jesus and say, will you teach me? Will you help me? 
And if someone does that, don't say, oh, I'm going to check my schedule. Teach others also the riches of Christ and his gospel. Make disciples. Start at home. And then work your way out. Share of that which you boast in. The steadfast love of God. His justice. His righteousness. The shed blood of His Son. And the redemption of sinners. Teach immature Christians how they ought to walk. How they ought to live. And how they ought to keep the commandments of Jesus. And always be a student yourself. Always be a student yourself. If you don't know how to do it, just talk to me and let's start. I'll get you going on a path. Okay? Or if you, if, uh, if, I, you know, if you're looking for a relationship that for, with somebody who might be mature, more mature than you, if you're a female, then I'll hook you up with another female. If you're a male, then we'll figure a time out. Or maybe I can connect you with someone else. If you desire to know more about Christ, seek Him. And don't stop. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Son who is... Uh, your word made flesh. God, give us desire to know him above all things. To seek him above all earthly treasure. Help us to understand the value of Jesus. His infinite value. Help us to know how important your word is. Help us to understand that obedience to your word is not questionable. May we be a church that is, that is lit for your glory. Regardless of where it takes us. Or how it makes us look to other people. Might your son be glorified. And our desire to exalt him above all things. In Jesus' name, amen.